Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. If you've been reading the news at all lately, uh, you've probably heard about the Asbury Revival. I thought it'd be good for us to just have a conversation about that. I know there are a lot of thoughts swirling around online, and so I thought uh, it might be helpful for us as a Dad Tired community to just think through this as the spiritual leaders of our home. How do we approach things like this that are happening? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I do want to say before we jump in that we had some major technical issues when we recorded this, and so... The audio might sound a little off, and so we just apologize for that up front. We were going to just try to like toss the whole thing, but I really want to have this conversation. And so if you can put up with the audio hiccups, I think the content is going to be helpful for you. But anyway, I appreciate your grace on that. Let's jump right in. Well, I'm super excited to be hanging out here again with Chris. Really big news in your world, man. If guys heard your story last summer, you came on the podcast, I think it was last summer, last spring, maybe a year ago, actually, you came on the podcast, shared your story, really powerful. And then since then, you've been involved in Dad Tired. You spoke at our retreat last year. You've just been a big part of the Dad Tired ministry in the last year, but you have some big news in your own world right now. I'd love for you to share that before we jump into all the stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah, some of you guys were praying for that and I've been involved in that. What do I do next in ministry? So I just accepted the job as senior pastor at College Avenue Baptist Church in San Diego, California. And it's been, that's why it looks like I'm in the Garden of Eden right now. <laughs> it does. People are going to, they they won't be able to see this unless we win and if we put it on YouTube. But yes, I'm like, dude, are you in the Garden of Eden, right? It looks yeah. beautiful. So I'm two weeks into that job and but my family and I are just really excited for this next mission. So that's my new full-time gig. And so it's kind of fun to be jumping back in and working with Dad Tired as I'm now kind of setting that. Yeah. If you are listening and you're anywhere near San Diego, within 300 miles, you need to drive there on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, dude, I'm super excited to talk to you. One of the reasons I wanted you to jump on quick and hang out with us today is because I want to pick your brain on all the stuff happening on the Asbury University College. I don't know. I didn't go to college, and that's always evident when I start trying to throw around educational words. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. like, you never did this, did you? <laughs> yeah. There's a Michael Scott episode where he's like trying to reminisce about college, but he never went. <laughs> or an office of it, and he's like... Yeah, when we were throwing the Frisbee in the... And they're like, you never have been there, have you? I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. Asbury College, Asbury University, some Asbury. Some in Kentucky, there's a big revival, they say, happening. And uh, it sounds, from what I can tell, really cool. People that I really respect have gone and are reporting back cool things, really good things. But I just thought it'd be cool for us as dads, trying to be spiritual leaders, to be men who discern. I know you talked about it. You've talked about this a lot on the podcast and in the at the retreat, like you'll say it better than I will. So please correct me. But something to the effect of like what you believe about God is the most important thing. How did you say that? Tell, remind me how you said that. Yeah, it's a, it goes back to C.S. Lewis, who said that the most important thing about a man is what comes to his mind when he thinks about God. And then he trumps himself and he says, the most important thing is actually what comes to God's mind when he thinks about you. Mm. But yeah, it all, but it all plays in the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. So just trying to think through, okay, we want to be, what I don't want to do is get caught up in emotions and just get blinded by, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So just throw out all theology because that can be really dangerous. But what I also don't want to do is be like, man, God's moving. And my first thought is to be a 
a critic and to be skeptical. And I'm like, God is doing something awesome. And I'm just dismissing it because it just feels uncomfortable, which I'll just say right off the bat, I grew up in a church where every Wednesday night was a revival. Like they would say that. <laughs> like God's moving. To, we believe in revival. He's showing up. And I'm like, dude, this feels like a normal Wednesday youth group yeah. service. So for any of us that grew up in that culture, I think we could be hurt by it. And our first attitudes would be skeptic, skepticism. But I just really don't want to, I don't want to be that dude. I'm like, this is dangerous. If God is really moving and I'm just dismissing it, I don't want to be that guy. But anyway, can you give us biblical and historical context for people when, when we hear the word revival? Like how do we even, what category do we put that in biblically and theologically? Yeah, I think it's first of all important to understand what we mean when we say the word revival. Tim Keller has a great book called uh, Center Church, and it really talks about the root of revival and the heart of revival and kind of bringing Christ into an urban context and and what happens when the Spirit just shows up in a radical way. So I would say that the first thing to understand is for a proper dictionary definition of what we're talking about. There's what I think some people would call frontier revivalism and then like Pentecostal revivalism. And Pentecostal, obviously, it automatically conjures images of like hyper charismatic, maybe for some people who aren't familiar with it. But that's not necessarily Pentecostal, just meaning it looks like what happened 50 days after Jesus uh, went into heaven, which is the Holy Spirit comes down in a very real tangible way and kind of has his way with people so that's what 50 days after means pentecost is that's what that's what we say pentecost 50 days after the resurrection and the ascension the holy spirit comes in power people are speaking in tongues of languages they don't know so when we talk about modern day revival like you can have frontier revivalism is essentially the idea that we are going to fixate on really pointed, hardcore evangelism for a season as a church, right? Everyone invite your friends, everyone go do this. And so it's a little bit contrived, right? It's just, it's kind of the idea of we are hoping to see a season of radical conversions, basically by the rule of numbers, hmm. get as many people in the doors as possible and preach the gospel to them and, and ask them to respond to it. That's frontier revivalism. So a lot of times in the the awakening of Great Britain, those things, Charles Finney, George Whitfield, right? It was like revival next week <laughs> from January 13th to the 17th. <laughs> right. Come hang out as if the Holy Spirit's going, gotcha. I'll, yeah, okay. I'll mark it on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and it's like, if don't show up on the 18th, there will be no Holy Spirit. It's right. over on the 17th. <laughs> so. That's kind of the way that when we pitch the idea that you're talking about, many people coming to faith in a short period of time because of pointed evangelism, harvest crusades, things like that. You're going and you're just inviting. That's frontier revivalism. What it seems like we're seeing in Asbury University, Ashbury University, I think it's Asbury University. Okay. It's in Kentucky. Yeah. yeah that's all we need to know. Was I saying it wrong? Did I say it wrong? Did I say Ashbury? No. Okay. No, I just second-guessed myself. Okay, yeah. It's in like Wilcox, Kentucky or something like that. Anyway, it seems to be more Pentecostal. And I think the good word... Just, just to clarify, just to clarify, because it's really what you, you said this, but I just want to like 
double down on it. Pentecost, meaning more like what we saw in Acts, unplanned, the Holy Spirit showing up unplanned. Nobody was planning for this. It wasn't, um, and from my understanding of what you just described, there was like two different kinds. Like there's like a planning of we're going to do an event. Evangelism brings many people, put it on the calendar versus nobody nobody saw this coming. The Spirit just showed up. So that's what you mean when you say- A normal prayer service of a few people turned into 150 hours of straight worship, repentance, and conversions. So I, I think for people like me, I grew up in a Lutheran tradition, and I work at a Baptist church. I'm a little bit of a theological mutt where I, I major on the majors, minor on the minors, but I have a, I think the word to use here for us as dads especially is we want to remain cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which we don't, right? It's like every time you log on to Facebook and someone's like, we found a chariot wheel in the Red Seal, in the Red Sea. And now we have proof of the Exodus. And then you realize that's like a 25-year-old picture and it's been rejected over and over. Mm. Did that really happen? This is where people go, yes. Oh, okay. Wow. The actual finding of one? What what you just said, there's like a 25-year-old picture or something. Doctored pictures. Got it. Okay. And But Christians fall for it. Like Mm. every six months, it comes back around. Mm. And this happens all the time. So sometimes as Christians, we lose our ability to point at things like this and say, God is at work. I think the idea of being a discerning father is to walk forward with anything that isn't spelled out strictly in scripture with cautious optimism. So I, I think it's it's important that our hearts take the posture of, I hope this is real, yeah, not I hope this is false. Right. So if we start in that posture, and then we do like the Bereans did, search the scriptures and find out if these things are true. That's what they're commended for. And I think that has to be our posture too. What it seems to be from my perspective in the seat that I sit in, where I'm very ready to call something false or fake, this seems different to me. This seems real. And and sometimes the mystical aspect of revival is we think that people are all experiencing supernatural behavior of the Holy Spirit that flames are igniting the place and people are shaking violently and falling on their faces and people are speaking in tongues and other. I think a really important thing to understand with modern Pentecostal revival is it just seems like the Holy Spirit flexes a little bit. It's nothing new. Mm. It's all the things that he does all the time, but almost like this short time of nitrous oxide poured onto what he already does. Mm. That's a great way to test revival. What's happening? The Holy Spirit, what we see in scripture is when the Holy Spirit shows up, he brings conviction of sins, mm-hmm. a call to repentance, mm-hmm. uh, conversions, conversions of idol in life, getting rid of what was was and turning towards Christ, and then assurance of salvation, and finally sanctification, movements into holiness changing behavior, getting rid of old sin, turning over past idols. What we're seeing in Asbury are all the behaviors of the Holy Spirit that we know that he does all the time Yeah, on fire, right? Like just in a concentrated time and a concentrated space. I think where we can be skeptical is where we're hearing these like kind of crazy, wild accusations That's where we want to test it. Not that the Holy Spirit can't do crazy wild stuff, but that it's a lot different call 
than if we're just saying, look how concentrated the normal behavior of the Holy Spirit is at this time and place. Mm. And revival is almost always accompanied by a recapturing of the true gospel, mm. right? The, I would say the two extremes of the gospel in culture are legalism or antinomianism, right? Like legalism is do a bunch of things for God to love you. Antinomianism, antinomianism is, well, since God loves you, behavior and attitude and action are irrelevant. Mm. When the gospel is preached properly, which it seems like is what's happening at Asbury, and people are just responding through the spirit in the normal way that he behaves, but it's in a concentrated time and place, I think we're, we're able to mark this as revival. Yeah. It's interesting because there's a movie coming out. It's, a, it's about to be released about the Jesus movement, which happened yeah. where you are in your neck in the woods uh, of the woods. And it's, um, and it was something similar, right? I didn't that, that there was a, like a, a concentrated movement of the spirit and tons of people ended up repenting, turning away from their old ways and following Jesus. That was kind of the last, from my perspective, my knowledge, that was the last kind of big thing that we saw. It's really fascinating that the time I got to see the the screening of that movie a couple months ago. It's really interesting that it happens to be coming out like in the next couple of weeks, right? As this is happening. Maybe this is part of their marketing. <laughs> Geniuses. You know, what's interesting. Well, I had, what, what do the people say that have, what have your friends said that have been there? Yeah. So I have some friends who I respect and they have, because they went, I wanted to fly out. I couldn't fly out there this week because we have a bunch of dad tired conferences that I'm in the middle of. I wanted to fly out and see it for myself. But people who are friends of mine who I respect theologically, I think that they would go there and just with the, they're, like you said, optimistically skeptical. Like they want to know, they hope like, man, Jesus, please be moving. But I just want to see what's happening there. They have said like, it's been calm that they've gone there. There's, it's not chaotic, but there's been like the public confession, people standing up publicly, confessing sin, people praying together. It's all led by students which is really, really cool. There's like no big name. In fact, I've heard that there have been big names that have tried to show up and they've been asked to not be part of it. The staff of the college is saying, please like go away uh, in a very kind way. Like, cause we're not going to let this become a you show for whatever ministry you're trying to be part of. So there's no big speakers. There's no big worship leaders going there and, and doing stuff. It's just students literally playing like I think the first guy I heard played guitar for like 12 hours straight like the worship leader he was just a college student he just like for 12 hours straight sang and then I didn't hear like how that ended but he probably just his fingers almost fell off I'm imagining so he's just bleeding yeah he's just like all right next up but I but I've heard they've just been <laughs> rotating like you know worship leaders kids who have never sang or led in front of anyone before you know just getting up there and it's like all right I'll, I'll sing some songs on the guitar or piano those are some things that I'm just like from video that I see, from reports that you hear, it's like, this seems like God's doing something. I think the interesting thing, if you sat in the Heavenly Council watching this, it's capturing global attention because of what's happening. But the scriptures make it clear that the great miracle of the Holy Spirit is his consistent promise that as men and women turn to repentance, they move from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, death to life. Mm. So we get infatuated by these concentrated things. I think in the heavenly council, they would go, 
maybe it's more obvious, but the Holy Spirit moves in miraculous ways every time someone turns from their sin and turns to Christ and God calls someone from death to life. Yeah. That's like, here's a good way that someone put it. I want to say his name is Goodman, Walt Goodman. I don't remember, but he uses this analogy where he says revival is like a father holding hands with a son walking down the street and they're talking and discussing life. Very normal day. Then the father stops and picks up the son and holds him really tight and whispers how much he loves him in his ear, puts him back down and keeps walking. Mm. And that that is a great way to interpret revival. Mm. It's not God going, okay, now I'm going to show up, Mm. right? His promise is that he's always with his church. He loves his bride, the church. He loves us as his children. And we know as dads, right? Right? You pick up your kid and you have these moments where you, you're whispering in their ear how much you care and love them. You're holding them. You treasure those moments. The kid would always dictate on a Scantron, dad loves me. But sometimes you can just feel it and you experience it. So it's nothing new. It's just what we know and experience manifested in a way that our culture tends to white noise out of the picture Mm. so it's always there and but something like this sometimes i think the holy spirit pours into to cut through the monotonous Mm -hmm. and the noise of our culture to say don't forget Mm. how much you are loved by the father and it won't happen forever right Mm -hmm. you put the kid back down no one eternally holds their kid you put him back down and you keep walking Mm. and it seems like those are kind of those moments of revival Mm. that's a really beautiful picture I was thinking through like how this ends, you know, like what, where, where, do, where does this go? You know? And it might, one thing I was trying to tell myself is if it ends poorly, it doesn't nullify everything that God did at the beginning, you know, in a week from now it stops or some mega pastor comes in there and just starts doing his thing and like blowing it up in a bad way, you know, like giving preaching bad theology or something. I don't want to say, well, look, I guess God didn't do, that wasn't God the whole time, you know? So I'm just like preparing my, maybe that's like my, <laughs> my skeptical well, side or something, you know, but I, I'm just like, I'm preparing myself for however it ends to not, like we just said earlier, like before we hit record, throw out the baby with the bathwater, which by the way, we shouldn't be throwing any babies anytime, just as a caveat to the Dad Tired podcast. That's the next podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Right. And again, it, it's not really in place today because Jesus isn't walking around doing miracles like he was. And people aren't saying it's Satan, not God. But I do think it's a popular plan. Man, I've been really discouraged by watching church leaders be so quick to criticize this. Mm-hmm. And I think as the spirit works over time, so does the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get, I think, we should expect some of those reports and for people to have abused it and for someone to walk in a meeting and hold up a sign that's mm-hmm. contrary to the gospel because they're trying to just get famous or start a fight or whatever. But when people are repenting and confessing sin, and I love how Abraham Lincoln put it, and then Jesus stole Abraham Lincoln's quote, <laughs> a house divided against itself cannot stand. <laughs> yeah. 
I think Abraham was yeah. the. Yeah, I can't. I remember, think he I can't remember who said it first, but yeah, someone I, said it. First. I think it was Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'll Google quoting. it afterwards. We'll fact check it. But yeah, somebody <laughs> said it next to that wheel and the chariot wheel and the <laughs> Red Sea. But there's no way that a move of God that's doing all those things is prompted by the devil, right? right. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Right. So when God is glorified and worshipped and that is only first John chapter two and three. The only reason people have the ability to do that. And the only reason they're repenting of sins is because of the Holy spirit. Mm. So we carte blanche know that the spirit is there. Now are people coming in? Was it a normal, powerful worship service that now Christians from all over are, are like, yay, let's go worship together. And can people get caught up in the emotion so much that they say things they don't mean or for sure. But when we see these things take place, it's always the spirit moving yeah. because the heart wants what's contrary to the flesh and the flesh what's contrary to the spirit. Mm. So Satan's tactic for deceiving us is never that we would worship and repent <laughs> right. and confess sins. Right. He never wins when that happens. Right. So yeah. I think regardless, we can still thank God for what he's doing, even though it will have its marks. And someone's going to make a documentary about this in a few years. And the skeptical people are going to come in and say, well, did you know about this? Did you know about that? And I don't think that's of, right? Like you, yeah. some people who, if you urinate in a Starbucks cup and give it to someone <laughs> and they're like, oh, this must be Starbucks. No, it's, that's one dude that used it improperly <laughs> and they've misbranded and represented it. That you don't, you don't it. go, well, I'm never going back to Starbucks. It was a misrepresentation. Your analogy is always, uh, they, take me down a, a rabbit hole that I didn't intend to go down mentally. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. One, one thing that's scary, I was thinking about this. One thing that's scary is if, if somebody is intentionally leading people astray, like let's just get people worked up emotionally. Let's conjure this up and try to make new stories about this and, and call it a revival. Bro, that's sin and wrong. I, I haven't heard any reports that that's happened, but that would be sinful and wrong. In the same way, if we see God legitimately working, the Holy Spirit legitimately working, and now I'm an advocate to say, that's not God. We should all dismiss this. You as Christians have been deceived. I think that's also dangerous. I think for Christians and leaders to say, hey, everyone, don't follow this. This is wrong. Dismissive. It, dude, if God's working, it's a dangerous place to try to pull away from what he's doing. Yeah. I'm trying to look this up in real time to figure it out. Philippians 1. It says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy, some out of rivalry, some for personal gain. But then it says, it doesn't matter. Mm. It absolutely matters that someone comes in there and goes, I'm going to stir up people to this. And their intent is to get famous. That's 100% wrong. But if you have a pastor at your local church, it is a perfect example of God working through a broken person to bring the gospel mm -hmm. who has malintent, who has moments where they want more platform than they deserve, who struggles sometimes with how much they want to be liked versus how much they want the gospel to be known, who has compromised things for the sake of peace on the altar of truth. It's not that sometimes God brings revival through broken people. It's that God always mm -hmm only brings revival through broken people hmm. with messed up motives and stuff. And God works in spite of those things, not because of them. 
Man. You know, I've been seeing, we've been doing these dads hired one day conferences around the country the last couple of weeks. And bro, I, you saw this when we did the retreat last fall. And I, again, I don't want to be like, I was, I was telling Layla, like, I don't want to be a, I think the word is sensationalist. Like, I don't want to make everything a big deal. That's not a big deal. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but dude, I've been in ministry. This is 18 years of ministry. And I have seen in the last year, people for us, especially men responding to the gospel in a way I've never seen before. Like last week, there was about 50 guys in the room. I've been really convicted, like give guys an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. That was something I was I, in my past, I was maybe shied away from for various reasons, but I'm just like, dude, just give them a, present a clear call of the gospel and then give guys a chance to respond in the moment. And so I've been doing that. And like a bunch of guys made decisions for Christ. We had guys in there who had, were not Christians. They would have said that coming through the doors. They were not Christians and they responded to follow Jesus after hearing the gospel. I'm like, there's like a, there's something happening. I was telling Layla the other day when we were having coffee, like, you know how when Jesus rides, it comes in on a donkey before he's crucified? Yeah. This very like humble, the king of the universe is coming in on a donkey, right? Like this is, there's so much imagery there. It's just so humble. He's born in a manger. He comes in on a donkey, all this stuff. He comes as a lamb, but there seems to be the sense, and again, I don't want to over-spiritualize. I'm not a prophet. I don't have any like inside scoop of what's happening in the spiritual realm, but there, it feels like from my perspective, like he's coming again, but this time not on a donkey. Like it's like he's preparing the way, but the, the lamb isn't showing up. The lion's about to show up. And again, yeah. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back today. Praise God. I hope he does. I don't know if it's today or 500 years from now or whenever it is, but there's this it just feels like this sense of Jesus is preparing something, but this time it's not a donkey ride. It's like the lion cage is about to be open. Yeah, I mean, at the retreat last year, watching grown men come in with their arms crossed and finish the week singing on the banks of a river while grown men are walking in all clothing into a river to get baptized. The Bible doesn't have the marks of revival, right? Like, yeah. well, how many people were there? <laughs> right. And how many, you know, like, right. was it in a university? Right. It's the Holy Spirit does this wild stuff. And I think especially in a generation of men who the previous generation was lost for the gospel. I think a lot of them were mm -hmm. for the ministry of dad tired and what your heart is to have a clear, concise call. I think the church has been so afraid of offending people. Mm-hmm. And so our mark, it seems like for a long time has been, let's keep wolves in our pews as long as possible mm. and entertain them because we want to have the numbers. And so when you say God has called you to be his son and watching dads respond to that, I think a lot of it is negligence of a previous mm. generation to just have a clear, concise call to repent. Yeah, We get freaked out by the guy on the street corner saying, you're going to hell, you know, like I'm going to stab you in the neck. <laughs> you love that line. But we've lost it then. We're so afraid of doing it poorly yeah, or being criticized or being seen as judgmental that we stop doing it. Yep. So I think that's got to change too. When men start repenting and deciding to follow Jesus humbly, and trembling, like they're scared. I, and I try to like present the gospel in such a way as like, dude, this is going to be ridiculously hard. Are you still in? Do you still want to take the narrow road? And men like say, 
I mean, just, bro, just even just last weekend to see men, like a grown man, I'm trying not to give details because I don't want to give away confidentiality for these guys that are listening, but just like strong men crying and saying, I'm scared, but I'm going to follow Jesus because I suck at being God and I want to surrender my life to the real God. When men are doing that, and then you see young people, like the people who we've dismissed, like we've called them like, oh, these college students, they're just so off track. Our world's going to hell in a handbasket. Look at the, they're our next generation and they're failing. But these young people are now leading us <laughs> in a quote unquote revival. Like it's caught my attention in like a really good way. It's hard not to see that and be like, man, God is clearly up to something. As we wrap up here, and I just want to say we lost Chris's Wi-Fi went down. So even though it looked like he was in the Garden of Eden, apparently their cell towers are not great. <laughs> so I'll wrap up here by myself as Chris, unfortunately, is not able to log back in because of his Wi-Fi. But I just want to say this to you as a dad listening. For us that we're trying to raise, as my friends over at Tiny Theologians would say, we're trying to raise tiny theologians like kids who understand the scriptures well and understand the heart of God well. Uh, as a dad thinking through all this stuff, I want to teach them the Bible. I want to teach them about the character of God. For us, I've been reading through the book, uh, a chapter a day, through the book of Mark, and we actually just finished that. We started the book of James today, but I'm just reading a chapter of the Bible a day with my kids and just allowing the Bible to speak for itself, the Holy Spirit to use the words, his words, the word of God to teach them about himself. And my goal is that as a dad, I'm teaching them, here's who God says he is. Here's his reputation. Here's what he's like. And as a result, we're building a good theology so that when things like this pop up in their lifetime, as they grow older and they come across things where people will say, this is God, or this isn't God, or this is revival, or no, it's not, whatever, that they have a great foundation from the word of God that they can say, nah, you know what, actually, I, I, I know the reputation of God and that looks just like him because of what I've seen in him in the scripture. Or, yeah, you're claiming that that's God, but actually there's nowhere in scripture where God ever acted like that or said that. I think what Chris said was great, that we would be cautiously optimistic, man, dude, I want God to move in big ways and I'm hoping this is it. But I also have, I have a great filter of biblical knowledge and theology, which dude, you don't need a degree. I didn't go to school for that. You don't need to go to school for that. Just read your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you his word, to give you wisdom. We literally read my kids and I in James one today. If you're lacking wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask and the father who is gracious will give it to you. And so just ask God, God, would you give me wisdom as I study you, as I fall more in love with you, as I read your word, give me wisdom. Who are you? What are you like? What's your reputation like? I don't want to make up who you are in my mind. I really want to know what you're like. Teach me through your word. And as we do that for us, and as we do that with our families and our kids, um, we can just approach these things. And, and I guess final thought here is that it seems like what's happening at Asbury is a move of God. And dude, I want to cheer that on. Would the Holy Spirit be working in them and in that area? And would it bleed out all over our country and world that we would have more and more people confessing sin, repenting of sin, preaching the gospel, accepting the good news of Jesus and following him better. I think that is going to be the thing that changes the world beyond anything else. But anyway, I love you guys. Thanks for tuning into this conversation and we'll see you next week. Later.